God's own self-exaltation is not megalomania because unlike our self-exaltation, God's self-exaltation draws attention to what gives greatest and longest joy, namely himself. And listen to this, a couple more. He says, it's crucial that we show it is right for God to be God-centered and not man-centered. Many people are happy to let God exist if God will make man the highest value in the universe. But it is crucial to say that God is the most valuable being in the universe. We are quite secondary. And since God is the ultimate value in the universe, it is only right and fitting that he be honest about that, that he tell us so, and that for our own good, he seek our love and admiration. And then one more, for us to be righteous, we must love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. For God to be righteous, he too must love himself with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Otherwise, he would be an idolater. He would be giving supreme devotion to something that does not have supreme value. Poison Tester, a poem. I'm Poison Tester, taster, true. I'm here to taste your food for you because you could die in a half a minute if there's one drop of poison in it. That lemonade to quench your thirst, you'd better let me taste it first. Mm, it's okay, but these boysenberries, I'll make sure they're not poison berries. Mm, no, they're safe, but the burger might be deadly. Mm, no, it's all right. And now I'll test your hot fudge sundae. Let's hope it's not dead by Monday. Mm, Mm, it's okay. Seems okay, but the poison could be in the very last bite, so leave it for me. Mm, well, it's all safe and my job is through. See how, how I risk my life for you. Shell Silverstein. <laughs> Shell Silverstein. Ray, um, I mean, you always seem confused, but why especially now? <laughs> very confused. I don't know what that was about. Ray, Shell I thought you would love that poem. Yeah, it was beautiful. What was it about? <laughs> it was about a person... Who was a poison tester. Oh, poison tester. <laughs> Deceiving okay. someone to eating all their food. That's the guy who wrote The Light in the Attic, uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends, and The Giving Tree. Okay, right, right. Let's try this one on you. Pay close attention. Okay, I'm trying to. My robot, or my robot. That was short. It's uh, a robot. <laughs> a poem. Robot. I told my robot to do my bidding. He yawned and said, you must be kidding. I told my robot to cook me a stew. He said, I got better things to do. I told my robot to sweep my shack. He said, you want me to strain my back? I told my robot to answer my phone. He said, I must make some calls of my own. I told my robot to brew me some tea. He said, why don't you make tea for me? I told my robot to boil me an egg. He said, first, let me hear you beg. I told my robot, there's a song you can play me. He said, how much are you going to pay me? So I sold my robot because I never knew exactly who belonged to who. Hmm. Sounds like a guy with a bad wife. <laughs> uh, there goes our audience. Do you guys uh, read, oh, another read a lot of poetry? By, that was by Shel Silverstein, by the way. That yeah. was? Yeah. Ray, don't you like Shel Silverstein? Yeah, um, a Light in the Attic? Yeah. Um, um, roses are ends? red, violets are blue. Some palms rhyme, some don't. <laughs> That's Light that one. Do you guys read a lot of poetry? Is that a part of your... I love poetry. Julia, your daughter, is brilliant at poetry. Yeah, that's why I read these, because she's been reading this to her students. Oh, she class, has? And uh, she loves it. When them. they're read by Julia, they would sound great, I'm sure. Okay, I'll put you on the spot. Ray, a, a freestyle poem as quick as you can. Mark, a freestyle poem as quick as you can. I have a buddy. His name is Emil, and at night when it's not shining bright, he doesn't like to write. He sends email. Now, Easy, I have a question for ah, you. Not freestyle. You've had that for years. Lies. Of course I do. Um, do you still write poems? 
or spoke you know, words or any kind? It's been a while, but... Why um, don't you get back into it? You're very good at it, easy. Thank you. You Thank did the whole you. book of Acts, or half the third of the book of Acts in poem, didn't you? Thank you. And Matthew, the book of Matthew. Yeah, yeah. I should. I, I need to make time yeah. Yeah. to rhyme. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Franz, here's a comment. Hey, why don't you make your last words in rhyme? <laughs> <laughs> I should. Yeah. Uh, uh, goodbye, I'm going to die. <laughs> Answer to prayer. <laughs> that works. That's it. Those are going to be my the words. other way around. It should be. Yeah, I'm going to die. Goodbye. Yeah. All right, France. Here's a comment. And then sigh. And then why? And then cry. <laughs> Oscar's yawning. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. All right. Uh, this is from Aliem CD27. Must listen. One of my favorite podcasts. These men rightly divide the word and apply it to our daily lives. Enjoyable, encouraging, and solid biblical truth. Thank you, Living Waters. Thank you, L.E.M., CD27. Very, very encouraging. This podcast is brought to you by uh, Tough Questions, Apologetics Made Simple. This is a DVD or MP4 downloadable course where we answer tough questions. Mark, why do you like apologetics? Well, I mean, evangelism naturally brings us into the realm of apologetics Mm. where we give an answer, you know, for the questions. Yeah. So um, not that I like it, but I, I like to see that Christianity is intelligent. Yeah. So Oscar, apologetics doesn't mean going around apologizing, right? Absolutely not. Uh, Scripture tells us to always be ready to give a defense uh, for your faith, for what you believe in. And uh, apologetics helps us navigate those waters. It gives us, uh, it, it gives us clear direction on how to have conversations with people. And to, I love what Mark just said. I think it's absolutely true. For some reason right now, there's this narrative that to have faith to be a Christian is to be anti-intellectual. But that couldn't be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, some of the most intellectual people in history and in our present day are Christians. Thank and you. I think... And then there's exceptions. Uh, and I think apologetics helps us have those kinds of talks with mm. people. Amen. So, friends, make sure to check it out. Tough questions, apologetics made simple. Again, you can get it in DVD or MP4 downloadable format. And by the way, a little FYI, apologetics backwards is skitegolopa. <laughs> so much for anti-intelligence. No, because if someone asks you, you have to be able to defend that that's what it is. All right, friends, make sure to check it out along with the Living Waters mug and the Evidence Study Bible all at livingwaters.com. Getting better and better, Oscar. All right, friends, this is it, the grand finale. And what a place to end on what we've been doing is... Those of you who listen regularly know the What is the Gospel series where we went back in time to some things we recorded ages ago that most of you have never heard. Today we end the series on the most appropriate place. This is the glory of God. Welcome back, guys, to What is the Gospel? This is part eight, our final session, The Glory of God. I'm excited to be here with us. Uh, We've got Easy, the Fresh Prince of Lebanon. Yo, (laughs) Habibi. We have with us uh, Ray Comfort, the kiwi that likes to eat seaweed. Yep, right. And Mark Spence, get off the fence. (laughs) (laughs) Must have worked on that one a long time. Uh, That's not kidding me just now. Welcome back, guys. Good to have you. You didn't need to tell us that. (laughs) We knew it wasn't premeditated. (laughs) Hopefully it wasn't premeditated. It's good to be back. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing to think that we're at this juncture and yet, from my perspective, we've saved, I think, the most important for last. Mm-hmm. And what a way to cap it off. 
yeah, we've hit the climax of the mountain and this is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. As I started studying these notes, uh, preparing my notes, I, it's like all the first seven sessions are just coming to uh, a climax right here. You know, it's really fun. A crescendo. Uh, so let's jump right into it. The first question for us today, what is the glory of God? <laughs> all of us open our mouths at the same time. Well, let, let me say this as a disclaimer. Um, I'm going to be quoting John Piper a lot, okay? I mean, every, you know, when it comes to Christian leaders, oftentimes everyone has their niche. And when I think John Piper, mm. I think the glory of God. Um, you know, that, that's the heartbeat to his ministry. And so he, and he's got a lot of good stuff to say. I mean, you know, just in preparing and, and studying, I really couldn't find anything or any quotes that were much better than the, the, the quotes that Piper you know, had. Sorry for Charles. <laughs> well, actually, I started with Spurgeon, but I'm going to skip to Piper to set the stage. But, but I love this. This is what Piper said. He said, the word glory is more like the word beauty than the word basketball. Yeah. And as I thought about that, you know, it, it's difficult to define the glory of God. Um, but, but I like that, you know, when you say basketball, you can begin to use terms, right? I mean, everyone can, when you say basketball, people can immediately think, all right, okay, it's something spherical. It's made out of leather, stick a needle into it. You pump it, it bounces. You could take it and throw it through the circular thing called a rim. You know, I mean, you can understand, but when I say the word beauty, it's, it's more abstract, you know, it's harder to nail down, but I think he distilled it. And then he said this, he said, the glory of God is the holiness of of God made manifest. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. We love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters Podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Well, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> we, have nothing, we have nothing else to but, add. But I love that. You know, the glory of God is a holiness of God made manifest. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. The perfections of God, which cannot be compared in every aspect and every facet, put on display and demonstrated in connection with his infinite beauty and greatness. Oh, man, just gives me the chills to even say it. No, God, God, God's glory is a big deal in Scripture. You know, therefore, it's a big deal to us here at Living Waters. Um, I, I think that we need to uh, really start with, uh, with that in mind. You know, Easy's talking about uh, John Piper. And uh, it, desiring God is not just John Piper. It's just a, it's a whole bunch of uh, writers and speakers and people with that same uh, directional focus, and that is the glory of God, right? 
And they, they went on uh, to say that God is in a class by himself. He has infinite perfections, infinite greatness, and infinite worth. And the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. God created this world for one reason, and that is for his glory, to glorify himself, which does not mean, as easy said here, to, to make it glorious. God, God, we, we have not been created to make God glorious or to beautify, right? Uh, that, that article that you read, it goes on to say how to beautify means to make something plain beautiful. God does not need to be made beautiful. He is beautiful. He is glorious. And we're going to finish off uh, this time together discussing how is God the most glorified? How do we get to that place? And it's, we'll give you a little glimpse into that. It's at the cross. It's what happens supremely with the death of the King of Kings. And when we recognize that and God's cross is placed on display, God is the most glorified amongst his people. One thing that fascinates me and it always has is the way human beings express glee and joy. You can put a kitten in front of a little baby that can hardly sit up and he'll clap his hands and intuitively. He just claps his hands in glee. And you can look at a football stadium with 80,000 people in it and they watch a, a, a sporting hero do something wonderful that pleases them. They want to glorify him. They'll clap their hands in glee. And I don't know if you've ever been in a sporting stadium and heard the roar of a crowd and felt their atmosphere. There's nothing like it. And that's why people leave the comfort of a 60-inch flat screen TV with air conditioning and surround sound and go and pack themselves in a freezing stadium like frozen sardines, it's because of that atmosphere you get. And the first time I ever heard it, I couldn't help but think around the throne what that's going to be like. It's just going to just be breathtaking. You cannot express what it would be like to be in the very presence of God. And I was just thinking, and it's so true, the glory of God is a very hard thing to define. In a sense, the glory of God is his essence, his, his very presence, but in different portions of Scripture, we see it manifest like uh, you mentioned before in the cross, God is most glorified. Jesus said to those that were standing around Lazarus, four days dead Lazarus, didn't I tell you, you're going to see the glory of God. God manifests his glory in different ways. The shepherds are washing their socks at night. Sorry, watching their flocks at night. Um, the glory of God was manifest. And so God manifests his presence in different ways. I've been saying to people as I share the gospel, have you ever looked at the sun at noonday? Ever studied it? And they say, no, no. I say, well, don't, because it'll blind you in a matter of seconds if you stare at it. Uh, and I said, but there is a time we can look at the sun, and that's in a sunrise. And it's glorious, it's breathtaking, it's beauty, it's just awesome. But we must never forget that when we look at that sun, the same sun that's so beautiful and glorious and attractive, if we fell into the face of that sun, we'd be fried, we'd be consumed in a nanosecond. Wow. So God became low, and the reason we can look at the rising sun is because we're looking at it through the lowly atmosphere. That's what makes it possible for us to see it. God came down so we could look at his glorious attributes of gentleness and kindness and love and mercy in Christ. But we must never forget 
that the lion is coming, the lamb is coming back as a lion. He's coming in flaming fire. And if we fall into his presence, we would be annihilated in a nanosecond. Forgive me for going on, but I'll just oh, share no, this thought too. On. This is awesome. Moses said, God, let me see your, your glory. I want to see the sunrise. I want to up close. And God says, you can't see me and live. God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let my goodness pass you by. He didn't say glory. He said goodness. And the way to understand that, that kind of mystery is why God's talking about goodness when Moses said, I want to see your glory, is think of a, a judge in a court of law who has before him a criminal that is tied up, raped three teenagers, and then slit their throats. And as the judge, judge reads his crime to him, he smiles in glee. That judge is going to be furious. He's going to grit his teeth and he cannot wait to bring that gavel down in wrath. And his wrath won't be in direct proportion to his goodness. Mm-hmm. If he's a good judge, mm-hmm. that gavel will come down in wrath. If he's, a, if he's not a good judge, he, he won't be wrath-filled. And he shouldn't even be seated as a judge. God's wrath is in direct proportion to his goodness. And if Moses had stood in the goodness of God, that wrath would have fallen upon him in a second. So God says, I'll hide you in a cleft. A cleft of a rock, and that's a type of our salvation. The only way we can stand in the presence of God is to be pure of heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And God in his grace has hidden us in the cleft of the rock. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And so um, the glory of God is manifest in different ways, but we're going to stand before that very essence of his glory, and we're able to do it because we're going to be sheltered in the rock of ages. Amen. That's so powerful, Ray. I'm so glad you highlighted uh, Exodus 33 and and the goodness of God. You know, Spurgeon, just to kind of piggyback on that, Spurgeon highlighted that too. And he said, when he talked about God's glory, he, he said an aspect of it is, is his goodness, but in connection with that from Exodus 33, it's his sovereign goodness. I mean, listen to this. It says, and he said, please show me your glory. This is Moses. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Then he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. His goodness and his sovereignty are are a massive aspect of his glory. You know, just a a couple of things that that I think are are important for us to remember too. You know, I think the greatest glimpse from an earthly perspective of God's glory is what we see in Isaiah 6, uh, 1 through 3. And in the year that Uzziah King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. One cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it's interesting because you would have expected him to say, holy, 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 holy is Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his holiness. But he says his glory. Because again, it's interrelated to his perfection and his holiness. Uh, and and one more thing, I know we're going on here, Oscar, but this, I, I mean, this oh, this topic is just so. Yeah. But we we cannot make the mistake of ever thinking that God is indifferent or passive about His requirement to be glorified by us. Again, as Mark highlighted as well, we don't add anything to God. We're just shining a light on the greatness of his glory. But, but remember with uh, Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, one through three, it says, then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, 
put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. We'll talk more about why we glorify God and and what that all means, but it's important to remember that. Yeah, I have nothing to add, but yes and amen. That was excellent (laughs) by all three of you. One thing that I, I... that stood out to me, Ray, is what you said regarding watching, you know, a football game or a basketball game on television versus experiencing it. God's glory is not just something we will observe. It will consume us. It will be a full experience. The difference is watching a hurricane on TV versus flying through it in an airplane, right? Like there's one observation and there's another one that it's a full-blown experience. And the glory of God is something that we will experience, the fullness of his glory. On to the next question. God demands to be glorified. Is he a megalomaniac for demanding that? If I could say this, in the eyes of the world, I'm, I'm sure they think he is because their understanding is darkened, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in him. And they can't understand that as Christians, we want to glorify God. We want to give him praise. And so when you become a Christian and your understanding is open, when you look at the sky, you don't see a sky. You see the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And I must look like an idiot sometimes. Like yesterday, I was walking around looking at the clouds while I was walking. I was even filming as at a local college because I was just in awe. Every stroke of his pen or or his brush is seen in in the clouds and then the sun shining. And, And so when you become a Christian, the trees are raising their arms in praise to God. The birds are singing his praise in the mornings. And everything you look at from fruits to babies to birds flying all scream of the glory of God because we know he's their maker. He, he created their DNA. And, and so it takes our breath away. But at the ungodly, it says they, they, Romans 1, they refuse to give him glory. They don't glorify him as God. They know him as God. And so uh, secularism exalts a man and diminishes God. Yeah. And so I can understand why the ungodly in their darkness uh, would see God as being a megalomaniac because he says to be glorified, but it's only right that a painter receives praise for his painting. Yeah. And it's only right that a creator receives praise for his creation. You know, to the ungodly, everything about God is profane. He, the blessings of God are profane. Everything, every gift, every, every beautiful act of God, everything that he's ever done is disgusting to a non-believer. They just don't see it. They are blind to the gift giver, and this is why they worship the gifts. Instead of the gift here, they, they worship the creation instead of the creator. I think one of the challenges for a lot of people is that we live with a long, endless list of people, of men, of leaders, of presidents, of world leaders who are megalomaniacs, who right. demand our glory. And when a man demands our glory, it drains from us because he is not glorious. So when someone demands glory, it, it, it sucks people dry of joy, right? Because they want for themselves, they consume, they take. Uh, but God, he does not demand glory because he wants to be glorious. God demands glory because he is 
glorious. And we were made to glorify him. The Westminster Catechism, uh, one of my favorite ones, the opening one is, uh, what is the chief end of man? It's like asking, what is the purpose? What's your life purpose? Why are you here, right? That, that question that everyone asks. And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is in the very nature of who we are to want to glorify him. And when we glorify him, it brings us joy. And I think we know this. I think even the secular mind knows this because every year, billions of dollars are spent on going on vacations to go see things that are bigger and more beautiful than your own selves. No one gets up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and is impressed with what they see, right? Excuse me. Easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on the other hand... No pictures in Easy's office, just mirrors. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, when you stand at the foot of Mount Everest, when you are uh, in the presence with your toes hanging off the Grand Canyon, you are in awe. It is a wonderful and amazing thing. And it's our heart desiring to want and glorify something bigger than us. It is in our nature to glorify God. And when we do it, it fills us with joy because it's what we were made to do. And you can see that so often in rock rock musicians. The hands are raised. The voices are calling for praise for that person because they played a guitar and dropped to their knees and slid across that. It's just, they want to give him glory and praise and honor. And yet, man wasn't made for that. The guy goes home, goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning alone and, 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 and empty in that sense. Glory and praise is for God because he's omnipresent and he's worthy of praise. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You know, I, Again, I'm going to quote Piper, and man, these things are so rich. They, they're worthy of meditation. And, and his name is applicable. He's a pipe, Piper that we follow. <laughs> the glory Listen to this. God's own self-exaltation is not megalomania because unlike our self-exaltation, God's self-exaltation draws attention to what gives greatest and longest joy, namely himself. And listen to this, a couple more. He says, it's crucial that we show it is right for God to be God-centered and not man-centered. Many people are happy to let God exist if God will make man the highest value in the universe. But it is crucial to say that God is the most valuable being in the universe. We are quite secondary. And since God is the ultimate value in the universe, it is only right and fitting that he be honest about that, that he tell us so, and that for our own good, he seek our love and admiration. And then one more, for us to be righteous, we must love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. For God to be righteous, he too must love himself with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Otherwise, he would be an idolater. He would be giving supreme devotion to something that does not have supreme value. Oh, man. You know, I love that, you know, and to kind of build off of that. There, you know, there, there's a text in Isaiah uh, that talks about why God created uh, the children of Israel for uh, himself, why he chose them. And in Isaiah 43, the end of verse six, it says, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You know, there are billions, if not trillions of things that we do not know. But we know supremely the most important reason each one of those things exists. 
We know why every leaf exists, why every blade of grass, why every sunset. We know why they exist, and it is for the glory of God. So there's billions of things we don't know, but we know why they exist. They exist to bring glory to God. And back to the question here, you know, I asked Alexa in my house. I said, Alexa, are you a feminist? And she said, yes, I am a feminist. This is the culture in which we live, where never before have we seen within our generation a people that are trying to raise up, raise their fist at God, and try to put women in a place where perhaps they don't belong, or men in a place where they don't belong. Listen, God is no respecter of persons. And when you begin to think that, hey, is God uh, megalomaniacal? The answer is ridiculous. Look at the way Jesus treated women. Jesus, unlike any other guru, any other prophet, any other individual, he treated women with respect. Consider this for just a moment. He welcomed women to sit under his teaching. People didn't do that in that time. Mm -hmm. And here's Jesus welcoming women to do so. He was a man who, he healed women oppressed by demons and diseases. He was a man who called upon his disciples to admire the generosity of an impoverished widow. Or we see in uh, John chapter four, it says that Jesus had to go out of his way to meet the woman at the well, where the disciples come along and go, what's going on here, right? Give him something to eat. And he says, I have meat to eat you know not of. And what? Talking about God with a woman. With a, with a female. He included women when he traveled through cities and villages proclaiming the gospel. He was a man who commissioned a group of women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. Jesus was inclusive in this area, but know this, that there is a headship, and when we confuse the headship, we confuse roles of both men and women, even children. There are rules that exist, and they exist for a very good purpose. And I just gotta mention here, just further what you're saying, uh, how the scriptures exalt the role of women. And I've never ever noticed that uh, the ant is in a female gender. Go to the ant, you slug it, and consider her ways and be wise. That wisdom is in a feminine gender. Yeah, the church, the church wisdom, that yeah. Is, yeah. is referred to as the bride of Christ, which refers brings, to her as she. Which brings glory to God. Which brings glory. Wow. wow. Yeah, and again, it's so true, right? If God did not give himself supreme glory, then he would be an idolater right? because he'd be giving glory to something that didn't have supreme value like he did. And I love how Piper summed it up. I mean, in, in the midst of all that, it is best for us as God's creation to give him glory. That's when we receive the most joy and are the most complete as his people. Next question. So we understand that God is glorious and we understand that he calls us to glorify him that we bring a, we we receive joy when we glorify God so that leads to this question how do we glorify God you know i uh i have a family vision statement I, I can't remember if i shared it in one of these sessions or not but this is so crucial that i wanted my children to grow up understanding it and i wanted them to pass it on to successive generations so i crafted this i memorized it my wife memorized it our children memorized it and here's how it goes. You have the tattoo on your forehead about it. Of course. It. Uh, I mean, you got to do it. But, but here it is. Uh, to gladly and passionately glorify God in every thought, affection, word, and deed, while constantly enjoying him as our greatest pleasure and most precious treasure. 
And that's based on 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And, you know, Jesus obviously told us to think in that way. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In a nutshell, it's to live in such a way in harmony and in keeping with that holy, good, perfect nature of God that as you live in such a way in connection with him as his son or daughter, you're shining the light on the greatness of his glory. You're bringing attention to it through the way that you live. The Westminster Catechism again answers this question for us. How do we glorify God? By loving him and obeying his commands and laws. Uh, and I love the value they put on scripture through the answer to that question. And a part of glorifying God, a part of loving him is putting his worth on display for all to see, not only in our evangelism, but in our lives in general. Uh, people ought to be able to see how glorious God is through the way we interact with the world. Because when we begin to believe, as Ray pointed out, that the trees are singing his glory, that our workplace is a place for him to be glorified, that our homes are a place for him to be glorified, then we begin to glorify him. People get to see God more clearly displayed through our lives, through both our words and our deeds. You know, the great tragedy uh, of the universe that though we were created to bring glory to God, um, we've fallen short of that purpose and we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, especially the one in the mirror. That we are infatuated with that man in the mirror. And one of the greatest uh, tragedies, one of the greatest things that ever created was the mirror. The mirror, though it's supposed to reflect mankind, and we are mirrors of God. We are image bearers of God. You know, all sin is birthed with the premise that the man in the mirror is supreme. But we got to be reminded that when God created the world, he did not create the world out of any need or weakness or um, any deficiency. He created out of fullness and strength and complete sufficiency. So we don't glorify God by improving his glory but as John Piper says, but by seeing and savoring and showing his glory to others, right? So he created people in order to put on display his glory. This is why we exist. He wanted to display his glory, knowing that as we gaze upon his glory, we become worshipers in spirit and in truth. So the question is asked, why did he create a world like this world, a, a fallen world, a world that has succumbed to sickness and, as Ray says, death, disease, and dandruff. And why would he create a world that is so at odds with the glory of God? Why would he permit and guide and sustain such a world? And here's the answer. For the praise of the glory of the grace of God displayed supremely in the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything all throughout history, the silence between the Old and the New Testament, uh, the giving of the law, the breaking of the law, culminates to one single point in history, and that is the cross. Man's sinfulness displayed at the cross, but overshadowed by the glory of God demonstrated in the grace of God, God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. Right, So we glorify God by accepting his free pardon from sin and its consequences, which is found solely in Jesus 
Christ. I just want to point out how different this mindset and worldview is from what we hear in the world every single day. We talked about this in the fall of man. Um, today, the false gospel of culture is expressive individualism. Uh, and I, again, I said this before, but we hear it in almost every single movie and television show and book. It's look within in song, look inside yourself, uh, find your true happiness, right. find your greatest worth inside your own self, cast away what other people tell you you are. You, you are your own maker. You are your own author, right? But the problem is the more and more our culture believes this lie, the more uh, suicide becomes an epidemic. Depression, anxiety becomes an issue, right? We have spiritual anxiety because we keep looking inside of ourselves and we, we have no power to define us. Now, the good news is that we don't have to define ourselves. God has already defined us. And the author of our lives and salvation can give us, give us a greater meaning and definition to who we are than we could ever give ourselves. So it's a reprieve. It's, a, it's casting off the burden of having to self-author your identity and trusting God with your identity and finding Him glorious. Talking about uh, ways we can glorify God, I think one of the greatest ways we can glorify God is to, to uh, be true witnesses of His character. In Minneapolis in 1990, Northwest Airlines had three pilots that flew drunk, the whole three of them, and they were sent given prison sentences. And the judge uh, at the sentencing said they had breached the faith of the public. They had betrayed the public and the airlines by being drunk. So how much more should we be sober when we proclaim the gospel because it reflects God's character? Mm. And uh, so much of today's preaching doesn't glorify God because they don't mention sin or righteousness or judgment. Uh, they forsake many of the attributes of God's character and paint him as a, a divine butler. And that doesn't bring glory to God. It brings glory to man. So when we get up and preach the gospel, I was just thinking Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead, uh, they saw the glory of God. How much more in Christ rising from the dead does that bring glory to God? And we have to be true and faithful witnesses and preach with fear and trembling. Amen. And to springboard off of that, I know Ray's going to like this. And of course, it's from Spurgeon. He said, our great object of glorifying God is to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls soul winner himself. Um, but a but couple things here I think are important to highlight. Thomas Watson said, glorifying God consists in four things. One, appreciation. Two, adoration. Three, affection. Four, subjection. This is the yearly rent we pay to the crown of heaven. <laughs> Isn't that well put? And then, you know, Spurgeon Oops. nailed it. Spurgeon, you ever heard of him? Is a carpenter, he nailed it. You will never glory in God till first of all, God has killed your glorying in yourself. <laughs> oh, Mic drop. Boom. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. I mean, you can't. And, and as I read earlier too, man's longing truly is that he would be at the center of the universe and he would be glorified. And as long as that's man's outlook and perspective, he's never going to glorify God. I speak for all of us. Aren't we pathetic as human beings that we glory in ourselves? I'm like, more pathetic than you are. <laughs> you know, we walk past a no mirror, more pathetic reflection in a window, and we, don't, we never see ourselves in truth. We're just puffed up in our own vanity and mind. So, uh, so becoming a Christian, we receive a spirit of a sound mind. And I like to think the whole world is insane until you come to Christ, and then you see things in truth. The next question we have on the table is, Scripture says, 
that we too will be glorified. What does that mean? Here we are talking about the glory of God, God being the only one worthy of glory. And then scripture says that we're going to be glorified. What does it mean by that? I think we're going to receive glorified bodies, but I think mine will remain the same. I can't think of any improvements. Six foot six with a hairy chest. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been saying that for? Every time you preach that message, it gets to that part. I just can't wait. God's going to give me a glorified body. Six foot six with a hairy chest. There's thunderous applause from the people listening. I don't know why they're laughing. I'm not joking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the key passage here is Romans 8, 29 to 30. It says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know, and glorified refers back to the conforming to the image of his son. You know, God did not intend his son to have an ugly bride. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you know, also in connection with that, Mark, 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 17, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outer man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. And that's that day when, as Ray said, we're going to, be resurrected, and we're going to receive a glorified body uh, and be restored. Sam Storms put it well. He said, when we refer to the believer's ultimate glorification, we're speaking of the transformation of our whole being, body, soul, spirit, will, mind, and affections in which sin is eradicated and we are made like Jesus. It's well put. The two things. One, first, he gives us a new glorious body. Uh, the earth is groaning and waiting for God to come back and make things right. We receive new bodies in that. And the second thing is he gives us an in, inward beauty that is uh, rooted in his holiness. Uh, so t- to sum it up, what Piper says is, when God glorifies us, he shares his own glory with us. He gives us a new and glorious body and he imparts the inward beauty of holiness partially in this life and fully when we come into the presence of the Lord. Uh, My visual that I get from that is you're freezing cold and you walk out, uh, you feel the warmth of the sun. Uh, And not only do you feel the warmth of the sun, but it changes the warmth of your own body. You get a piece of the warmth and heat of the sun. That same way you you receive a, a, a bit of glory, God's glory in and through you. Uh, And now for our last question really is to summarize. We've done this uh, eight sessions now, starting with uh, who is God and ending with the glory of God. We kind of like, we we bookend that uh, intentionally. It's been amazing to go through and to dive deep into each uh, various aspects of the gospel. What is it to you guys that stood out, either highlights for you um, or what, what do you hope, you know, eight sessions, about eight hours worth of material, what do you hope people glean from our time together? Just to summarize what we've talked about in reference to what you're asking, we must never remove the glory of God from His holiness as we've seen in the same way it's try, like trying to remove the heat from the sun. That um, My hope is that each of us get stirred more because of what we've talked about to reach out to the lost. My heart grieves beyond words the horror of hell's existence. You know, we, we tend to think, how could God create hell because he's, he's good? We're seeing the goodness of God. I see that justice is done. But then there are some that might say, well, God is love. Surely that love will make sure this couldn't be such a place as hell. But when it comes to a judge in a court of law, a judge has to set aside his love 
when he judges the criminal in front of him. He can't say, well, this is a celebrity. I love this guy's music. I'm going to pervert justice because of him. He sets aside his love. And even judges will say to jurors, don't become emotional about the judgment you're going to make. Set aside your affection for this person. Be objective. And God has no respect for persons. And he's going to, the time will come when he, when he sets aside his love and mercy and puts on his hand of wrath and sees that justice is done. And this is why we see Lady Justice. And it's not just in, in America we have Lady Justice as a blind woman holding a sword and scales. That's worldwide. You can find country after country use that to depict, depict justice. Blind justice is blind. It just makes sure that justice is done. The sword is the wrath and the scales are justice itself. And so there's a great and terrible day of the Lord coming that should make each of us tremble. We're going to have eternity to worship God, but such a, a short time here to warn sinners to flee from wrath is to come, warning every man that may present every man perfect. So my heart's desire is that this, uh, these sessions we've done don't just tickle ears, but they, they motivate feet. You know, Ray and everyone here, that, this recent sickness that hit us all was just so intense and crazy. And on one of those days when I was sick, Ray, you remember I texted you mm-hmm. and I, I was in so much misery. In fact, I, I don't remember ever being so sick in my life. And I texted you and I said, Ray, I've never felt this miserable. I had these little miniature atomic explosions happening in my throat every time I would swallow through the night, which was about every minute. And I, I was, I just didn't know how I was going to get through the night. A, a couple of times I honestly craved death. I thought, Lord, if you could just take me right now, because it was so intense. And then I thought, what is this? It's a sore throat. You imagine the horrible diseases that so many people have. And then my mind extrapolated and, and I really, really began to think about hell because we easily forget. We walk around, there's so much entertainment, people are living their wicked lives or having fun, and it's just easy to, to just put it out of your mind and forget. But, but hell is real, and, and the lake of fire in, into which, obviously, a hell will be thrown where people are now in that, in that holding place, it's coming. And we need to remember that and be passionate about it. And, um, you know, I, I had written to you and I told you, Ray, you know, I. I I'm just so horrified about hell. I, I want to preach like never before. And, and you uh, reverberated that. But we need to remember that. And, and I would say my encouragement to those listening, my hope is that they'll take the orthodoxy they've heard and they'll t- turn it into orthopraxy, which means that they will live out these truths. They'll integrate them and mesh them into their lives and become not merely hearers, but doers of the word. That's when the power is going to be released and people are going to be impacted, lives are going to be changed, and God's going to be glorified. You know, I tell my kids all the time, and every card I write to them when there's a birthday, every Christmas card, everything, I always write inside there, pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. Life is quick. Uh, Time is falling away from us. It's fleeing us. My kids were just saying, Dad, I can't believe that it's already this upcoming month. I can't believe it's this time of the year. I can't believe this year is already passing. Yes, this is the reality of the life in which we live. I still feel like I'm a 19-year-old man trapped in this 45-year-old body. I still remember uh, saying my ABCs for the first time. I remember exactly where I was at. I remember how I was walking in my brother's room. I, it seems as if it was yesterday. And the great takeaway for me is to just simply realize life is quick. It's not about you. 
so you can get over yourself, look to Christ, who is our hope. Mm. We were created to know God and to make him known. Uh, I have at least 12 things that I hope people get from this. <laughs> no, you know, I, for me, it's the same thing that I, that I, I think about as I prepare a sermon. One, um, I want people to see the gospel as grand. I don't want people to think that the gospel is simply the front door that gets you into, into you know, Christianity. I want them to see the gospel in all aspects of their lives every single day through all things, through their marriage, through their childbearing, through their proclamation of the gospel, through the way that they work, all of it. I, I want people to fall in love with their Bibles. You guys did such a great job bringing scripture into this conversation. It would be a shame if people just walked away going, I want to hear more of those four guys. I hope people walk away going, man, I want to read my Bible more. This stuff is in scripture. I want to read that, you know? And, and last, which falls right into place with where we're at today, I want it. I want, I hope that people see God as glorious, to see him as magnificent uh, and to allow that to inform the way that they plan their days and go about the rest of their lives. It's been such a joy for me to be bathed in truth with you all. We know so many of these truths in our hearts and minds, but to be washed by them again and again and to hear other brothers talk. And I think really this is a microcosm of, what fellowship is. And my hope is that those who have been listening to this will challenge themselves and ask themselves, do they fellowship right. like this over the word of God? Because it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's when it begins to, you know, to, to, to survey the intents of our hearts and, and work in us, convict us, shine light on us. And so my encouragement would be fellowship over the word with your kids, with your husband, wife, with your friends, and let it do its work. Amen. I think that's the way God designed community. I mean, that's koinonia right there. When you can gather together with one subject at hand, you study, I study, let's get together and let's just talk about this. And you walk away refreshed and watered. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for your uh, contributions. Um, thank you to our partners who uh, faithfully support and pray for Living Waters. Uh, It's because of you that we were able to uh, inspire and equip Christians all around the world to fulfill the Great Commission. We hope these eight series have been a blessing to you. And uh, again, thank you for listening. God bless. You know, glory related to God is so important, but it's so often made so light of. Um, Like when you hear the televangelist preachers, glory! Why do they do that, Ray? It's just um, muscle memory. <laughs> they don't really mean it by the sound of it. Yeah. Glory. I, I was once preaching uh, on the subject of hell, and someone called it hallelujah right in the middle of it. And I said, no, 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 not at the right time. Oh. You know? Yeah, when people get in that automatic rut. Amen, yeah. amen, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah. You ugly, stupid people, amen. Uh, uh, <laughs> can you take back an amen? The, I think the glory of God is such an often forgotten about aspect of our worship. I think we forget about it in our prayers and in our daily devotions and the way that we present the gospel. And I think, I don't remember if we go over this in, in this episode. Uh, and so in case not, I am so fascinated by the fact that Paul in Romans chapter three mm-hmm. says that Jesus dies not for your sins, but for the glory of God. He says that he dies 
to show that God's name is just and justifier, that he would not pass over other sins. In other words, the chief issue for Paul on Jesus, the chief issue for Paul in sin is how could a God so glorious pass over sin? Jesus's death is there to display the glory of God in his forgiveness. Isn't that amazing? Oh, Mm. I love it. Yeah, and Mark, the key in making sure the next generation understands that because it seems to really be a lost sort of urgency for people to live for God's glory. Yeah, if you're not living for God's glory, you're living for your own glory and your glory will diminish Mm. very, very soon. Yeah, amen. All right, friends, we hope you're inspired and encouraged and stirred up. Love the Lord, friends, love the Lord. Uh, if, if you are planning on loving him for all eternity, uh, become good at it now. All right, there you have it. Don't forget the Tough Questions Apologetics Made Simple course, DVD and MP4, downloadable format, Living Waters Mug, and the Evidence Study Bible at livingwaters.com. Remember to comment, podcastlivingwaters.com, and also on whatever platform you listen on. Subscribe, tell others about the podcast as Mark and Ray hit each other and uh, get violent. Why are you being violent, Ray? You're going to give the website and... Oscar's pulled the microphone yeah. from us. I was going to do the dot do com. Oh, okay. I was going to do the dot com. Yeah, so thank you for joining us, friends. Oh, wait. All at livingwaters.com. <laughs> I detected an Indian accent in there, right? Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters podcast. The ultimate, 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 ultimate cure for insomnia. <laughs> that might have been my favorite one. <laughs>